wanted to um, reiterate something that Philip was speaking about. August 29th, uh, when we have Richard Clary here. Very important that as many people as can that you be able to be here. Um, those who are in leadership or will be going into leadership here at some point, um, it's important that you be around also because I'm going to make sure that we have some uh, somewhat more private time with Richard. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a particularly impressive young man who has proven himself in the kingdom of God. And um, so we are very honored to have him here. He will be speaking about what it is like to join Takoon and to become a Takoon member congregation. Some of you already know about Takoon. It's an organization that was begun by Dan Joster and a number of fellow ministers who, uh, wow, I mean, these guys, they have been in ministry together for 40 years now. And um, so anyways, Takoon is, is what was birthed out of that um, co-labor that they were doing together. I mean, imagine, imagine the, the, the second Messianic congregation that Annette and I belonged to. The first one was, was actually Baruch Hashem in Dallas, Texas. We were there for a couple of years, but then when we finished, we felt like God was calling us elsewhere. I really felt like God was calling me to go and get my Master's of Divinity and to go to what at that time was the world's only Messianic Jewish seminary, uh, Messiah Biblical University up in, in Rockville, Maryland. And uh, so we did, and Dan Juster and Michael Brown and uh, Asher Entrader and Michael Rudolph, they were, they were the, the main professors at the school, so it was really a Talk about a time to get an education in what Messianic Judaism really means, what it stands for. It was absolutely wonderful. Imagine Dan being the primary preacher week in and week out, and then the praise and worship being provided by Israel's hope, led by Paul Wilbur. That was the praise and worship team. I, I kid you not. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. So we had a great time there. Eventually we transferred over to Ahabat Yeshua in the District of Columbia, which is where Michael Rudolph was the, the rabbi at the time. And um, I was actually able to do a couple of internships with him for uh, my school program. So anyways, um, this is, this is the organization from which uh, Richard is, and he's a shaliach with them. One of their leaders, um, nationally and even internationally. And so anyways, he'll be here on August 29th for the service. That'll be a great time. I would imagine he will leave time at the end of his message for questions. So please do ask the questions. Someone might ask, why is it that we want to join an organization, a larger organization? Why not just remain independent? My basic answer to that is because I do not find independent anything in Scripture. I just don't. 
God did not create us to be independent from one another. He did not create our congregations to be independent from, from all else. He created us to be independency with each other, dependency on Him, and working together that we can bring His light to a sin-darkened world. And so that's the primary reason, because God just doesn't recognize that kind of independence that we seem to prefer here in the United States. And I think it's important that we be part of an, a congregational organization that will help us to fulfill our goals and to really bring to pass the vision that we have here at Remnant to uh, truly take the good news of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua, to Wichita and to all of the areas around Wichita. Here we are right in the middle of the country. What a wonderful place for a revival to begin and just spread out everywhere and take the, take the entire nation for the Lord Yeshua. So anyways, that's August 29th. It'll be a great time. Please do be a part of it. Um, remember, we've got the High Holy Days that are coming up uh, pretty quickly, and um, everyone will want to be a part of that. We, we will once again be uh, doing our um, uh, Oneg Picnic Tosh Leak out at the park, same place in Sedgwick County Park, same exact shelter again. We've got it reserved right there by that lake, and so it's a great place for us to do Tosh Leak. We'll have our service that morning here, though, and um, so uh, please do, September 19th, Yom Teruah. Yom Kippur uh, will be the following Monday. Uh, the, well, actually, I guess it'll be the Monday after that. But we'll have the service uh, at 5 p.m., and uh, we'll break fast uh, with a, an Oneg afterwards. Please do. Uh, come during the day. Anat and I will be here most of the day, and we'll have, a, like we did last year and the year before, a time of great discussion, question and answer, and we'll, we'll have a good time. Um, so anyways, please do be a part of that. That'll be on Monday, September 28th, and then Sukkot uh, will have, uh, will begin the evening of October 2nd through October 10th. We will have our campouts at and that's in my place like we have been. You may have a couple of, uh, of new guests who will be there, sheep, so that should be fun. The kids can chase the sheep and whatever else. So uh, anyways, that'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. Please do note that um, we did not do well in our finances at all last month. Wow, that was... That was bad. I'll tell you, we have managed to cut our cost so low, though, that believe it or not, our, our expenses were actually less than the uh, rather small amount that came in last month. We'd like to see at least 3000 a week. We got, um, well, let's say last month we didn't even get more than about 1700 a week. 
So it was pretty low. Please do consider giving, therefore, because um, just like any other congregation, we have expenses that we have to pay. So um, please do consider giving. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Today was going to be a particularly special service, a little bit bittersweet. We're having to um, replan it, though, because today was going to be a day in which we honor a man who has really given of himself here at Remnant of Israel over the course of many years, Myron Ratzloff. Myron has, uh, because of family needs, uh, been telling us for some time that he was going to need to step down. He was going to need to resign his responsibilities as an elder here at Remnant of Israel, Messianic Congregation. And so finally in June, after about two years of letting us know that he needed to, he did ask if uh, we would release him from those responsibilities. We agreed that we would. We had a great time together at that elders' meeting. It was very sweet. Um, but anyways, uh, it's a little bittersweet. When you serve with a person over a long period of time, and you really get to know them, I mean, where you laugh with them, you cry with them, you um, agree with them, you argue with them because you disagree at certain points of time, and yet at all times you're able to come back together. It really deepens the bond that you feel as leaders with one another. I know one of the things that has really made uh, this an enjoyable uh, mission for Annette and I, an enjoyable time, um, as God called us here, was in fact serving with this particular board. And the heart of, of my board has been Philip and Myron. And the way I would refer to Myron was as my peacemaker. Because that's what Myron would do. He was a man who brought peace. And in bringing peace, he was able to further the kingdom of God constantly because it would help us to remain focused on what really mattered. Not some little disagreement that might arise over this or that, but rather let's focus on what we do hold in unity and then let's move forward and let's make the decisions that we need to make. And, and we were able to do that. I've been on a lot of boards. Um, and this has been one of the most effective boards I've ever been on. Simply because of how well we could work together. Very important. So today was going to be a day to honor Myron and Becky Ratzloff. That'll be scheduled for another time when they can be here. But um, just wanted you to know that uh, because I, I know that Annette had sent out a message that people should bring cards and uh, well wishes and things like that. And uh, those will have to wait. So please hold on to them 
and you'll get the opportunity in, in the future. But what I wanted to do today then was speak about the subject of leadership in a congregation. I want to speak about the honor of being a leader in a congregation like this and helping to lead God's people as the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do. I also want to speak about what God looks for in one who would be an elder in a congregation or a shamish, a servant leader, as Scripture also calls the uh, deacons. Um, in the English, we generally call them deacons. Uh, in the um, Tree of Life version of the Bible, though, they're called uh, servant leaders. So one of the things that I did when I first got here, as far as the leadership positions, I basically uh, renamed all of the business positions to something that would be of a more biblical nature because I really wanted to get across the point that every one of us who are serving in a leadership position here, that we are first serving as people of God, not as a businessman or a businesswoman. And so therefore, I, I didn't want trustee to be one of the positions that, that a person would hold who was in leadership here. Uh, first of all, I don't see that in Scripture. What I do see in Scripture as I see elders and I see servant leaders. That's what I see in Scripture. And anyone who's known me any time at all, you know that I really want to reflect what I find in Scripture as much as I possibly can. And so um, I want to start today in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 where Paul says, Trustworthy is the saying, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a good work. An overseer, an elder, uh, which is another biblical way of referring to um, one of the senior leaders in a congregation. So an overseer or elder. An overseer then... And these are the basic, the basic requirements that Paul lays out for what we should find in an overseer or an elder. And what we should find is this, that they are beyond criticism. They are the husband of one wife, clear-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, not violent, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Boy, that's a big one these days. Managing his own household well, having his children under control with all respectiveness, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's community? Paul asked a good question there. We find out a lot about a man and how he would govern within the community of God by how he governs within his own household. 
And one of the important aspects that are uh, pointed out here by Paul is that a man who does not have his own household uh, under godly discipline is not going to be able to exert such godly discipline within the house of God either. He must not be a new believer or he may become puffed up and fall into the same judgment as the devil. I'll tell you, if he's too new of a believer, how can you be sure you know him all that well anyways would be another question I would ask. But yeah, one who is too youthful, one who does not have enough experience of life, And when I say experience, I don't mean just preaching. I don't mean just volunteering around the congregation. I mean someone who has really dealt with the difficulties of life. One of the ways I put it is I would never want anyone to be a a senior leader here at Remnant of Israel if they had not experienced some of the sadness of life. Now why is that important to me? Well, I'll tell you why. The reason why I don't want someone who hasn't experienced any of the sadness of life to be a senior leader here is because so much of my job is helping people who are going through the sadness of life. And if you can't have a heart for people who are going through something that is devastating, the loss of a loved one, the the slow the slow loss of a loved one in some cases, who have lost a job, who are struggling to make ends meet when they don't have a job, who have health issues that are embarrassing, that feel like place them out of the mainstream of people, so they feel like they're cut off. If a person can't understand those things, they're not ready to lead the congregation of God's people. They're not. Because one has to have empathy. The ability to empathically feel the pain that another one is experiencing in order that they may help them to work their way through that journey. And when I use the word journey, I'm I'm using it purposefully. Because whenever you're working your way through grief, whatever that grief is, it is a journey. And it takes time. And it's not something to be rushed. What I used to see with too many young chaplains in the United States military is they weren't quite ready for the job yet, and they'd try to rush people through the process of their grief. You can't do that. Grief follows a process, and that process is going to be somewhat different with each individual, and that individual, each individual, needs the time to work out their own grief as they need to. And it's got to be by their time clock, not somebody else's time clock. So these are important issues. And too much youthfulness, while youthfulness is certainly exciting and it's exuberant and it's vibrant, 
youth alone usually lacks the wisdom that gray hair can give a person so they understand some of these things. You see, this is another reason why God has called us not to be independent, but to work together as a congregation in order to accomplish His will. Those of us who are getting a little bit older, we no longer have the energy levels that we once had, but we certainly have the wisdom from a long life. Those who are youthful, you may not have the wisdom of long life yet, but you've got the energy that we lack. Now, you put us together, that wisdom and that energy together, and we make a considerable body, don't we? And so once again, the importance of working together is one. But anyways, not a new believer, or he may become puffed up and fall into the same judgment as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation with those outside so that he will not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. You know, it's a really terrible thing for a congregation if someone has been raised up to be an elder and then you find out that the person is a bigamist and has another wife on the outside and you only discover it after the fact because you didn't do your homework before. Wow. And so it is important to know how a person is felt about from those who are outside of the congregation even. I mean, not to the point that you're going to believe every little rumor that might pop up, but yet, are they held in high esteem? One of the things that we learn about the early congregations of Yeshua, among the other things that we've already talked about, I, I speak of them as the five principles of a truly healthy congregation, a congregation where uh, the teaching of the elders is held to eagerly. A congregation where the people are praying together on a daily basis, perhaps, where they are fellowshipping together on a daily basis. Remember, we read that those early congregations, they would meet together every Shabbat. They even had a place where they met together in Solomon's portico. And then they would also meet together on the first day of the week. But we find out later they were also meeting together at other times. And another of the things they did besides praying together and fellowshipping together is they also took communion together often. And they reminded themselves of why they were here, their purpose. And oh yeah, they were all together in one place. Real unity. Real unity. You see, these were the five principles that they lived on and that they walked in. And as we do the same, then we're going to see God able to do much more in us than perhaps we have seen to this point. God has big plans for this congregation, though.
You know, another thing that we read about those early congregations, however, is this, that they were held in high esteem by all the people outside of the congregation. This is something we should aspire to. As a congregation, that we would be held in high esteem by others. Not because we're like them, necessarily, but because they see such a level and quality of fellowship and love among the brothers and sisters of this congregation in holiness, that they recognize that we are different. We're not just a religious body, but we are truly a living, breathing family filled with the Holy Spirit of God, loving others, and bringing the good news of our Lord and Savior Yeshua in a spirit of unity to others. This is one of the things that marked those early congregations to such a degree that they were held in such high esteem by others. No wonder God was adding to their number daily. Okay, so those are elders. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But first of all, I want to move on to describing servant leaders, or as we call them here, shamashim, or as you read in the English Bibles, deacons. In 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, Paul says, Servant leaders likewise must be dignified, not double-speaking, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Also let them first be tested, then let those who are blameless serve as servant leaders. <clears throat> Women likewise must be dignified, not backbiting, clear-minded, trustworthy in every respect. Let servant leaders be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who have served well as servant leaders gain for themselves a good standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Messiah Yeshua. So there's a lot of similarities between servant leaders and elders as far as the requirements. I will point out as an aside right now, I'll return to it later, but one of the big requirements that we don't see is a requirement that they be able to teach well. So there are some differences. The, the job description, if you'll have this, would be somewhat different also. Um, a, a servant leader, the position that he serves is such that it really comes down to the things that are necessary to directly service the needs of the people in the congregation, usually physical needs. For instance, if you've got the poor in the congregation, one of the chief assignments of one of the servant leaders would be to make sure that there was an equitable distribution of whatever charity came in so the poor within the congregation would be able to live as well as possible. And so this is exactly what we find when we first learn of servant leaders in Acts chapter 6, is that um, there was a complaint 
that the widows of those who were from the Hellenist party, um, Jewish people who were of Greek or from outside of, of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, they were from the Greek-speaking world, were not receiving a fair distribution equal with that that was being given to the widows of those who were in Israel, lived in Israel. And so there was a complaint about this, and they raised up several men who were from the Hellenists, some of them, and they would actually help to make sure that there was a fair distribution of the charity to the various widows. And it worked. It worked well. A problem was solved. The congregation was able to stay together rather than breaking apart in fractious argument. And um, it helped. One of those men was Stephen, by the way, who we'll read was full of the Holy Spirit and also very capable of teaching. I will tell you personally, I think that oftentimes the first place that a would-be elder will eventually serve would be as a shamish, that it's a great starting place to learn what it means to lead within the house of God. I also want to finish with 1 Timothy chapter 3 because I think the three verses give some context to everything we've already read. When you realize we've read already the first 13 verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now I want to read the last three and I want you to take them in context together. These things I write to you, he's talking to Timothy, hoping to come to you shortly. But if I delay, I write so you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the community of the living God, a pillar and foundation of truth. Now beyond question, great is the mystery of godliness. He was revealed in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, trusted throughout the world, taken up in glory. You see, we serve in the house of God, not for ourselves. Not so that we can make a name for ourselves. We serve in the house of God for God first. And for our fellow man. Uh, you, you think about how even our liturgy demonstrates this order. Because when we speak the words of the Shema, we speak of loving the Lord our God first, right? And also loving our fellow man. And these are the two commandments upon which our entire faith stands this is what God has called us to and to be a leader in the house of God requires a clear recognition of this divine order okay so first Timothy 3 let, let's go back to talking about what's expected of, of an elder. 
and, and let's be a little bit more exacting about it. Paul gave a lot of requirements, but I, I think there's, there's some things that really stand out that I want to point to. First of all, an elder in a congregation, the, the elders team, and, and by the way, there's, there's three major forms of congregational governance that you really find in the Western world. Uh, one is um, almost a dictatorship. The, the senior pastor, he has all the power. He ultimately makes all of the decisions. Ultimately, he directs everything that happens in the congregation. He is the one that by himself sets the vision for the congregation, or almost by himself. Um, it's, it's a form of, uh, well, hopefully benign despotism, although sometimes I found it's not so benign. Um, another subject for another time, perhaps. But anyways, that's one form of congregational governance we find in the West. We also find it in the Bible. I would dare say that Titus, just because of where he was, he kind of had to run the ship like that, at least at the beginning. He was in a difficult mission field. He had to pull together people who were very fractious. In a culture that, according to Paul, was considered by others of the world at that time to be somewhat lazy. And so Titus, he had a tough job. And I would imagine that he had to govern with a fairly firm hand. Another form of church governance or congregational governance we find here in the West is democracy. I don't find it anywhere in Scripture. But it sure is popular here. Thank God for the Baptist, right? <laughs> Democracy, yeah. That's where everybody votes. Everybody has an equal vote. We love it. Our political systems are based on democracy or republicanism, whichever one you want to take. But it means that everybody has a vote. There's really not an undue emphasis given to spiritual maturity in who has a vote and who doesn't. Decisions are made by a democratic vote, good or bad. Now sometimes this works out well. In a congregational, in a congregation that's got strong leadership anyways, sometimes even a democratic system can work out well. I've also seen many instances it did not work out so well. Um, what, was, what, what were the, the requirements that God gave for a leader in a congregation? Well, first and foremost, that the, the people needed to be spiritually mature. And this is the problem with democracy, is you've got sometimes people who are very unspiritually mature, who wind up having an outsized influence just because they're charismatic leaders. And do you really want a charismatic leader who is not spiritually mature 
making the decisions for how the house of God should direct its business. I hope not. I think it's a, a system that is fraught with great danger. Now there's a third way also, and that is an elder board. It's somewhat of an in-between. This is the way that remnant is governed. We're governed by a group of elders who God has raised up by the power of the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit has pointed out um, that he would be pleased if they were raised up to do that job that he was calling them to do. It's very much like um, what we read of, I, I think it's in Acts 12, maybe 13, where God has called certain of those from among this one body and said, I want you to set apart these men to my service. Among them were Paul and Barnabas, right? And so the Holy Spirit called to those who were already recognized as leaders in the community. And he said, set apart these men for a special duty that I have for them, that I'm calling them to do. And this is exactly what happened. And this is where Paul and Barnabas wound up going on that first missions endeavor into the Greek-speaking world. So anyways, the three forms of congregational governance, and the last one is the one that we hold to here, and that is a group of elders that have been raised up by the Holy Spirit for the function. They must meet the elements that are laid out in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But there's something more to it also, and I want to I point some of those things out. Um, number one, of what's expected of an elder, is an elder is expected to set the spiritual direction for a congregation to include giving prophetic guidance. So think about that. To set the spiritual direction for a congregation to include giving prophetic guidance. Yes, prophecy still exists within the body of Messiah today. In congregations where it does not exist, those congregations are really losing out. We need prophetic guidance today. I will point out once again that that message that Zach gave a couple of weeks ago, it was a perfect example of the spiritual guidance that I'm speaking of, the prophetic guidance that I'm speaking of. Prepare yourselves, Zach was saying in short, because darker times are coming upon our nation. It's important, therefore, that we truly be about the Father's business, not our business, the Father's business. Because time is growing short. So, if you look in Numbers 11, 24 through 30, what we read, and let me, let me set the stage a little bit. So Moses has been governing Israel, <clears throat> maybe not completely by himself, but almost by himself. 
and the man's exhausted and it can't continue. It's not sustainable. And he's complaining to God because he's feeling like God has kind of abandoned him. Lord, why are you leaving this all to me? I can't do it. I'm sure Moses was correct. Three million people would be difficult to govern all by one's lonesome. Very difficult. And so Moses asked God what to do, and God says, I want you to choose 70 elders from amongst the people, those who are recognized as leaders among the people, and they will help you to govern. And so we read, starting at verse 24 of Numbers 11, So Moses went out and told the people Adonai's words. He gathered 70 of the... <coughs> pardon me. 70 of the elders of the people and had them stand around the tent. Adonai descended in the cloud and spoke with him. He took some of the ruach that was upon Moses, placed it on each of the 70 elders. It so happened that when the Ruach first rested on them, they prophesied, but never again. Two men, however, had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. The Ruach rested on them. They were among those listed, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant to Moses since his youth, cried out and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Now, Moses' response is instructive to us today. But Moses said to him, are you jealous on my behalf? If only Adonai would make all of the people prophets let that sink in Moses desire was that God would make all of the people prophets not just that one or two or three spread out throughout Israeli territory would hear from God and be able to faithfully transmit what God had said to others but that all of God's people would be able to faithfully transmit what God had spoken because they had heard the living God. That's what Moses wanted. That all of God's people would be prophets. If only Adonai would put his spirit on all of them. At that point, Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Indeed, the elders are given to a congregation for the purpose of setting spiritual direction and for giving prophetic guidance that the people of God know where God is leading and that they can follow that way and follow it well. This is exactly why when Paul is listing the gifts of the Spirit that come 
when the Holy Spirit is truly embraced and asked for in a person's life, that one of those giftings that he mentions is that of prophecy. It's critical. And it's one of the job, jobs of, of those who would be an elder in the congregation. So that was the first thing. The first uh, thing, once again, to set the direction for a congregation to include prophetic guidance. Secondly, an elder must spend his time studying the Word of God carefully and consistently so that they may teach the people of God well. This is critical. All of us should be studying the Scripture. However, those who would be an elder in a congregation, they need to spend extra time in prayer, extra time in study of God's Word, because one of the expectations of an elder is that they would teach and teach well. In Acts 6, 1 through 4, we read this uh, account. Now, in those days when the disciples were multiplying, grumbling arose among the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily support. So the twelve called together the whole group of the disciples and said, It is not right for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So brothers, select from among you seven reputable men, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the Word. You remember in ancient Israel, you had priests, right? Not everyone was a priest, were they? Not even all the Levites were priests. At one point, there was even a rebellion from those who were not priests, though they were Levites, against the priesthood. And God put down that rebellion in short order. There is a level of calling that comes with being a priest of God. And without that calling, one is not to try to step into the priesthood, so to speak. Well, there's also a level, level of calling for those who would be elders. And part of that calling, a critical part of that calling, is that an elder be in the Word of God. That he be studying. Perhaps not as a beginning student, but certainly is more advanced because we should be students of the Word throughout our lives. But since one of the things that God looks for in an elder is that they be able to teach, it's critical that they be in the Word so that they know what God wants them to teach. You see, we don't teach based upon what we want to teach. We teach based upon the Word of God. I don't know how many churches I've gone into with various family members who knew that I was a leader within the kingdom of God and they, they asked me to go to church with them and I sat in the church and I'm thinking this is all nice enough, but where is the Word of God? 
where is the call to his service? Where is the holiness of God? Whenever I'm in a service like that, I always walk out rather saddened. Because I'm concerned that too many people go in feeling like they're doing their religious duty and that's all that God has for them, expects from them. When in fact God is not calling us to a religious duty, He is really calling us to His service and to the service of our fellow man. Number three. Now, here at Remnant, we, we really want everyone here to grow in their faith to the point that they could start a, uh, a home group, a Havara group, or as we call them here, a poor house in their own house. Pouring out from the good that God has put within us to be able to reach our neighbors. One of the things that we find in Scripture is that wherever Paul would go, he, he would do a couple of things. He'd start out in the synagogue, but then he'd take the message outside of the synagogue also. And in taking the message outside of the synagogue, he would create small groups of people in every city he went to who would learn how to serve God, serve God and walk in God's ways and reaching out to their neighbors. Uh, the, the, original, the original believers, they were highly outreach-oriented. It was all about going to the streets and ministering the good news of Yeshua that all people would know the Lord of life. All people. Wow, we have really gotten away from that here in the West, haven't we? Way far away from that. We don't minister to people anymore. We become their friends and we ignore the spiritual message. Now we should become their friends, but we should be their friends without ignoring the spiritual message. In fact, the spiritual message being front and center to everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we are. Because this is what Yeshua did, and we should do likewise. In Acts 16, 13 through 15, we read this. On Yom Shabbat, we went outside the gate to the river. Now this is in the city of Philippi. And um, this is Luke sharing what was happening. He was with Paul at the time. Paul was the leader of this group, and here they are in Philippi. And so on Yom Shabbat, we went outside the gate to the river where we expected a place of prayer to be. We sat down and began speaking with the women who had gathered. A woman named Lydia, a seller of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, a God-fearer, was listening the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. 
When she was immersed, apparently that very day, along with her household, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she insisted. Now we read about this Lydia in various other places. For instance, we read about her in the letter to the Philippians. Lydia became, if you'll have this, the first poorhouse leader of Philippi. And apparently she was quite active and quite good at it because the congregation in Philippi grew quickly. And it became a very healthy congregation full of the Spirit of God and full of people who were really interested in serving God and others. Exactly what we look for here at Remnant. They demonstrated that. I find it interesting that we read that she was a God-fearer. She was not Jewish. She was a God-fearer. She was a woman of the nations that God used in order to build a home group within her own home. She was a woman who directed her family well. So much so that her entire family followed her into being immersed into the name of Yeshua and then following Yeshua. We want everyone to do that here. However, here at Remnant, we really do look at it as a special part of being an elder in the congregation that we form a home group and we care for people within that home group and we teach them well about the things of God that they could grow into their faith that we teach them well of the basics of the faith that are found in Torah but then that we also teach them well more advanced things regarding the Ruach HaKodesh and His operations in our lives that each of our people would learn how to walk in the power of the Spirit and therefore truly be able to empower, take the Word of God to a world in great need. This is what an elder does. It's what God expects of an elder. And it's what every congregation should expect from their elders also. Yeah, of course they should be men who are holy. They should be men who are peaceable. But you see, there's other things. An elder also has to be able to make executive decisions and make them well. He has to be able to work with all people, to include even those who are difficult. And by the way, there are going to be difficult people in every congregation. It's just the way it is. Human beings are human beings, right? Makes them neither bad or good. It's just who they are for that time. An elder must be able to work with everyone. An elder must be able to teach, which means he must be extremely well-read in the Word. And he must be able to give prophetic guidance. Hence why the Scriptures are rather careful in spelling out uh, the important elements what is required 
in an elder. So what are the difference between an elder and a, a shamash? A lot of it is the ability to teach, to give prophetic guidance. Although this isn't always the case. Because one of the things we find out about Stephen is that he was a man full of the Holy Spirit and could teach well the Word of God. This is what Stephen did. I would dare say that one of the things that I would look for in someone who eventually wants to be an elder, normally, is that they serve first as a shamish. Unless I know that they have served in like manner elsewhere and have done well. Let's go back to what Paul began with. Trustworthy is the saying, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires good work. I hope that you aspire to great things within the house of God and within God's kingdom. Because God has called us to great things. An elder is not someone who's made in a night. They're developed over time. I will tell you, one of the things that I see is that those who would be elders will generally begin serving in the way an elder would even before it's even mentioned to them that maybe they have the qualities that God would be looking for for them to serve as an elder in the congregation. One of the things Philip and I and Myron also have looked for are those who are already doing the work. Because you see, one of the ways that God oftentimes points out His calling to us is precisely by the fact that one of His servants is already doing the work of the calling even though they haven't formally been given that calling. I started out saying today that it was bittersweet seeing Myron step down. Because Myron has done well. He has done well. We read in the book of Hebrews that those who have served well as leaders in the congregation are worthy of special honor. Myron is worthy of special honor. And we will give him that honor at a time when when it's appropriate, and he can be here. God has led to us, we believe, and I mean Philip and Myron and myself, two other very worthy men and capable men who we believe can serve this congregation well as elders. 
one of the practices that we have had in this congregation is that there be a period of time for the congregation to make comments regarding those who would be elders. Um, certainly when I was coming here, Richard and the rest of the board were receiving comments from you on a consistent basis as to the three people who were being considered for the position, myself being one of them. Based on those comments, it helped them to clarify their thinking. And so, in an elder-run congregation, still, we want to hear the voice of the congregation. We lead based on the direction of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit can also demonstrate to us things from the rest of the congregation. Remember, we're a body, not just an individual. We are not a Nicolaitan congregation, an overlord of the laity congregation where one man makes all the decisions. We don't do that here. We are led by elders who are led by the Spirit of God and who have done well for this congregation. But we also want to hear from you. And so the two men that I speak of are first of all Zach Williams. We would like to see him raised to the position of elder here at Remnant of Israel Messianic Synagogue. The second one who is not here today, could not be here because he's at his battle assembly, is our brother Joe George. I have come to know both of these men very well, spending much time with both of them, even going down on a mission of mercy to bon, uh, Bonham, Texas with Zach, and we spent a lot of hours that day just discussing things and fellowshipping and working together, sweating together, that we could complete that mission of mercy. These are men who are already showing the qualities of an elder even before they were called to be elders. And I have seen that, and I know Philip has seen it also. And so, until August 29th, the day that Richard Clary gets here, yes, we planned it that way. Um, we're going to have a three-week period for comments from the congregation regarding the direction that we believe the Holy Spirit has called us and these two men that we believe the Holy Spirit has called to be stood up to the level of elders here at Remnant of Israel Messianic Synagogue. Please consider this carefully. Feel free to speak with Philip or I at any time. I would prefer there not be a lot said on Facebook or in emails. I'd rather not see a lot of words on paper or digitized. I'd rather hear from you person to person, myself or Philip, or you can speak to Myron. Although Myron is very, very busy with other family tasks.
task right now. Please also remember Myron and Becky Rasloff in your prayers. This is a pivotal season for them. Of course, Myron's father just died not too long ago. His mother is doing well, but then Becky's family also has their needs. And so, um, this is a busy time for them. Remember also that Myron served us for 12 years in this role. I think he has earned a rest. Don't you, Lisa? <laughs> Amen. Yeah, let's let, thank God. Thank God. Praise God. Lord, we ask that you would lead us and guide us as a congregation, as a body right here in Wichita, Kansas. Here in the center of our nation. In such a way that you would be glorified here to the establishment of revival. And that that revival would spread out from this central point almost as the spokes of a wheel to every part of this nation and beyond our borders. That um, all would know the good news of our Lord and Savior Yeshua. Help us each and every one to learn how to walk together and to work together in the unity of Your Holy Spirit that we would truly be a congregation of light in the midst of the darkness, dispelling the darkness with every action that we take. May each of us become more and more like You on a daily basis. That yes, Lord, that we could please You, but that also we could truly serve as Your body in the midst of this world at this time when there is such a need for the light of our Lord and Savior Yeshua to be seen. We thank you for making us one now. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Thank you.